0: Welcome to ROI Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is G Swords.
1: And my name is John Keeley. This is the 370th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Megan Ruiz, Executive Director of the Latin Center, Lantern Center, excuse me who is going to talk to us about the Lantern Center and today's Iowa immigrants. The history buff for today's show is Ed Broders. The show's theme song is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zaptel. Our producer and engineer is, as always, Mr. David Baker.
0: This is the opening segment of the show called Farouk Donaren, and today we're talking about the Lantern Center and today's Iowa immigrants with Megan Ruiz, Executive Director of the Lantern Center. Welcome to the show, Megan.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Um, so can you give us just a little bit of background into the history of immigration in Iowa?
2: Yes. So the Presentation Lantern Center is in Dubuque County, and we are affiliated with uh, with the Sisters of the Presentation and Catholic Charities of Eastern Iowa, which serves the entire um, Eastern thirty counties in the state, so if I were divided into thirty counties we we serve that third um and so immigration in dubuque uh in about the nineties, there were um, a handful of uh bosnian refugees that um, that came to and settled in you know illinois and um and then later moved to dubuque and uh and all, you know and all over the US. and then, um, and then over the last 10 to 20 years, um, we've had a lot more um, immigrants from the Marshall Islands. There's currently estimated to be about 600 to 700 people from the Marshall Islands that are um, in Dubuque County. and then approximately um, 200 to 400 uh, Latinx, Immigrants as well from all over, anywhere from you know Mexico to Central America um, to South America, and um, so so that's roughly what it looks what uh, our our makeup of immigrants is like in Dubuque County. Although people are always surprised to hear when I ask, you know, I ask how many different countries do you think the Lantern Center has served? You know, how many representatives of different countries have we met? And there are actually people from 70 different countries who have walked through our doors at the Lantern Center and, you know, received um, assistance in improving their English or assistance studying for the citizenship test or um, just a general, you know, welcome and, and, you know, introduction to some of their new neighbors. So it's it's always surprising. You know, people maybe assume people are just from one or two cultures, but, yeah, 70 different uh Nationalities, you know, are represented in Dubuque. So,
1: okay. Uh, question: How is your um, institution structured, and how many people work, uh, if I may ask?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how many people do we serve uh, roughly, like each year, or since we've been open? How many people?
1: How many people work for your institution, and oh. how is it structured so it can reach out to help the seventy different? Uh, ethnic groups that you guys do help?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, um, we run on, a, you know, a real small staff where we have a pretty nimble uh, budget, and we, we've we got two full-timers. So it's myself as executive director and then an education director, and then we have a part-time business coordinator. And so all three of us wear a lot of different hats, and, uh we this last year we served about hundred and four um adult immigrant students and uh and their twenty four children collectively too. So um yeah, so we've got you know, but of course the three of us couldn't you know, couldn't tutor all the students ourselves and, and whatnot, so we rely heavily on on an amazing, um, very generous group of, of volunteers who um are mostly retired. Uh, we have a lot of retired teachers um, and uh, a lot of college students who volunteer with us um, who are, you know, soon to be teachers. And it's a last, at last count, we had 188 people on our volunteer um, database. And I'd say probably 70% of them were active, um, you know, to help us for at least. Three or four hours uh, that this last um, this last year in 2019, with probably 60 or so of them being people who come in uh, one to three times a week to help um, with volunteering.
0: Yeah. Okay, um, Megan. So let's assume uh-huh. that I am a Scottish immigrant from oh, the Highlands.
3: God almighty. A Scottish yeah. immigrant, <laughs> get out the door. And I've,
0: I've, been, I've, been reload, you know, I've I've decided that, that I'm going to relocate to the United States and I end up in Dubuque County. How mm-hmm. would I get a hold of you or how would you get a hold of me and and what would that mm-hmm. initial kind of interaction be like?
2: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, good question. Um so we found that we get referrals from people uh, almost exclusively through word of mouth, um, and so that first interaction would probably look like, you know, whichever friend or relative or neighbor or coworker referred you to the center said, "Hey, welcome from Scotland. There's this place in Dubuque that uh, um, where you know where they." help to uh, to welcome immigrants, and so they might bring you down and then we'd um, kind of give you a tour of the place and come in and have, you know, um, a cup of coffee or tea and sit down and probably have some delicious homemade snacks that one of our students brought in as a thank you from um, <laughs> all all over the place. That's a, a little perk of visiting the center um, or volunteering there. And uh, so, yeah, I'd come in, kind of welcome you that way like you would welcome somebody to your home, you know, um, bring them, bring it, have them come in and sit down and just have a conversation with them to begin, uh, you know, kind of where they're at, what their goals are, um, you know, why they came to town and um, just uh, just getting to know them a little better to kind of meet them where they're at and then um, help pair them with the the right tutor.
1: Uh, If you sent the Scottish immigrant out the door, uh, that would be totally highly recommended. But for a real question, (laughs) a real question, not like his, um, talk about the issues of language. I mean, we're talking 70 different cultures. You're talking a vast, uh, insurmountable enough uh, level of beautifully created languages, some formal, some not. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I lived in... uh, two third world countries and studied five
2: languages and stunk at all of them.
1: Um, how do you guys go about that?
2: Yeah. So that's a common question. We get a lot of people shy away from volunteering because they assume that they maybe have to be bilingual. Um, but that's definitely not the case. I can tell you <laughs> that, you know, I studied Spanish for six years, and I would say I'm still at an elementary level. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and people, you know, are really, really patient and really, uh, yeah, picture dictionaries and, um, you know, facial cues, and we have whiteboards. So sometimes it's almost like, um, um how is that game? uh Dictionary. Thank you. Yeah, kinda of like Pictionary. So <laughs> um so just, you know, a lot of different different creative ways and then we use uh you know, the computer, websites, translators, uh, to kinda get to know each other with that language barrier. We've got a lot of picture dictionaries in probably twenty different languages and those those are lifesavers. You know, you can pick a chapter say the person works in food service and so we go to the food service chapter and then they just start learning vocabulary and um you know just all kinds of different different creative ways depending on kind of what they what they want to know
0: Okay um Megan I'm interested because we have talked to a number of different um immigration organizations uh, over the years on the show, and mm-hmm. one of the things that that certainly stands out is a need to connect um, people with services. Now, you know, you've talked about a bit about some tutoring things and whatever, but do you also serve that purpose as well? Um, sort of a clearinghouse or or a an intermediary to help um, immigrants sort of connect up with the social services that they might need.
2: Um, I would say, you know, yes, we do do referrals, um but by and large, you know, I've been there for two years now and I've worked with immigrant families as an e s l teacher for um for years and uh just had you know a lot of friends who are immigrants and refugees and in a lot of different immigration situations you know and by and large um i mean before uh the mass layoffs with covid 19, there um, there's not there was not a lot of need to connect people with um, with services. Or by and large, um, no matter what their immigration status is, um, immigrants as a people I find are you know very very proud and independent and you know hardworking. And they um, you know if they fall in a hard patch, usually they uh, they uh, can borrow money from you know, a friend or a family member or they pick up a second or third job or things like that. So, you know, I've found that I there hasn't hardly been a need for that um, at all.
4: Okay.
1: Um, uh, let's – one other question before we go to our um, our first break. What um, do – when dealing with uh, immigrants, is it kind of like ebbs and flows? I mean, like, for instance, Jay and I did several shows, and I hate to say it, it's been a long time ago, on the mm-hmm. Postville Raid, which is not that far from you guys, mm-hmm. uh, and how it totally shattered uh, that community's balance. Uh, mm-hmm. Question, were you working for uh, your agency at the time, and did that tragedy uh, tsunami into your world? Because people, from what we were talking to up there years ago, with several priests mm-hmm. and ministers saying that mm-hmm. uh, people scattered in in multiple directions to get out of town. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yes, I remember that uh, that time well. And at the time, I was an elementary school teacher in the Dallas, Texas area, and a lot of my students and their families um, were undocumented. And so, even just them down in Dallas, you know, hearing about the postville raid made them especially um, nervous. And so, they kind of just all over the nation, I think, um, immigrants who were undocumented, kind of, you know, went into hiding for a while after that because it was, you know, so horrific that it was being covered on um, Univision, the uh, Spanish news channel, and, um, you know, so that was that was really traumatic um nationwide i think there was blowback from that and um and yeah there were some situations of families that i saw um down in texas who maybe were pursuing their paperwork at first like going to try to pursue um changing their immigration status and you know maybe um applying for um legal permanent residency due to different situations, and um, a lot of them, you know, refrained from that temporarily, or, you know, parents who used to volunteer at the school weren't bringing food anymore, weren't volunteering anymore, they just, you know, or some of them didn't send their kids for a short time, just worried that any um, exposure out into the public might, you know, put their family in harm's way or get one of them um, noticed by ICE. So, yeah.
1: Um, All right, we have a lot more to talk about so please stay tuned uh-huh. to the next segment of our show. Oh. This is R O I station on K A L A St Ambrose University, one oh six point one FM.
3: KALA 88.5 FM, the radio station with the most diversity in the Quad City region. Jazz, blues, R&B, hip-hop, Spanish and Hispanic programming, gospel, new rock, oldies, news, and shows addressing local community issues, and the world's best in entertainment and news from Public Radio International. Here's something different on KALA 88.5 FM, the most diverse radio station in the Quad City region.
0: Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Sorts.
4: And my name is
1: John Keeley. This is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Megan Ruiz, Executive Director of the Lantern Center. And we're talking about how the Lantern Center works with today's Iowa immigrants. Our history buffer today shows Ed Broders. Ed, as the resident expert on social justice, uh, you get the first question.
4: Thank you, John. Um, Megan, much of the attention in Iowa that's uh, paid to immigrants is uh, centered around uh, meatpacking, uh, plants of one sort or another. Um, I'm not aware that there's a, a meatpacking plant in, in Dubuque County or even close to Dubuque County. Um, so, what do your immigrant, what do the people that your your um, organization serves,
2: where do they wind up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Good question. Um, we do actually have a, a Hormel meatpacking plant in Dubuque. Um okay. It is. Okay. Smaller as compared to some of the other ones in Iowa, so a little lesser known. Um, but I had heard recently they were planning to double their capacity of meat packing in Dubuque within a year. Um, so a good handful of our students do work there, and um, a lot of them are teachers' aides or teachers. Uh, there's a lot of CNAs um, that work at group homes for people with disabilities that work at nursing homes there are a lot of people in the food service and agriculture industry anywhere from cooks to um farmhands who help on dairy farms, hog farms um and just about every every segment you can you know you can think of but particularly healthcare and uh food service we see most of our students are from there um yeah
0: Okay um so I'm going to come you know we've been talking a lot about the uh the immigrants themselves but I would like to kind of focus on your own organization you said that mm-hmm. you had a uh, a flexible budget I love that phrase uh and mm-hmm. we've done a lot of organizations so so money is always an issue you never have enough Um, Mm -hmm. So what kinds of fundraising streams or revenue streams do you have to help support your organization?
2: Well, on a, you know, normal year, we're supported, yeah, about 60% of our budget comes from um, private donations, anywhere from, you know, $5 to $5,000 or more as a... um, you know, in, individual families that give, and uh, and then we get uh, some grant funding. There's some, and there's a few uh, local foundation. There's some families that are uh, philanthropists that are um, immigrant-friendly and and give us uh, regular donations. And then the sisters of the presentation, um, when they started the center in 2002. Um, they worked really hard for many years to build uh, an endowment fund. And so, you know, we're grateful that we're, we're able to pull from that for um, a good percentage of our budget while supplementing with grants and donations. Um, and now, you know, it's it's kind of similar now with COVID there's some grants available for COVID relief um, and, uh, private donations coming in and donations from the sisters for that separate fund, um, that will all go straight back out to the immigrants in need.
1: All right. Um, you brought up that word COVID-19.
2: How
1: how has it impacted your organization? I mean, again, it does for me how people do not understand that it is asymptomatic and mm-hmm. as you said, as we all know, meatpacking plants have been a hotbed for it. How has your organization had to cope with this?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, way back on March 11th, um, I, I spoke with the, our board of directors, um, and we – You know, we heard that, okay, cases are starting to crop up in the United States, and it's just a matter of days until every state um, is, I don't know, infested, for lack of a better word. um, And so uh, since, like I mentioned earlier, you know, most of our volunteers, probably 75% of our volunteers are seniors, you know, maybe 60 to 85 um <clears throat> I thought, boy, they're a particularly vulnerable population. And then we also have a group of college students, about um, the other 25% of, of our volunteers approximately, and, um, you know, who at that time would have just been coming back from spring break, uh, you know, all over the country and all over the world, and, and then meeting down in the center, you know, in a packed um, environment where some nights there might be 30, 40 people in our relatively small space. Um and so <clears throat> yeah, so we had made the decision to close for 2 weeks, you know, as it were. <laughs> and then um obviously had unfortunately fortunately had to, you know, continue that. Um so yeah, so it's been nearly 2 months now, but we uh have been connecting our our tutoring pairs um you know virtually so a lot of them will um talk on WhatsApp or they'll talk on Facebook Messenger or call each other you know or they'll do a Zoom meeting as a check-in um and so there's there's a good handful that are doing that right now but you know of course the pandemic is overwhelming to all of us and we've you know everybody's got different roles and um you know, sometimes multiple roles. Now they're teacher-slash-caregiver-slash-still-working-from-home or still working outside of the home. And um, so a lot of students are just focused on, you know, trying to meet their basic needs now, and um, a lot of them don't, uh, unfortunately, don't qualify for unemployment. And even though they pay, you know, billions of dollars in uh, taxes every year, a lot of immigrants don't get a tax return, um yeah, don't qualify for unemployment, don't qualify for any um any kind of social safety net or benefit because maybe of a lack of um, social security number and uh and so you know they're really left out in the cold, left out in the dust, and so one of our primary goals right now is to has been um, just helping people pay their rent and, you know, they not get their utilities or their electric shut off and meet their basic needs and, you know, get um, some food to them and things like that. So until they can get back to work and hopefully they'll be able to be, you know, gainfully employed like they were um, all the past months and years. So, Okay, Ed.
4: Yes. Thanks, Jay, again. Um, Megan, while we're on the COVID-19 subject, um you mentioned uh, earlier in the show about the – we talked about the raid in Postville in uh, was mm-hmm. that 2006, I think, maybe. But anyway, how it drove people underground. And given mm-hmm. the, you know, fluid situation in which, um, you know, li- and living in the shadows of most of these immigrants, has the has – the, uh, has this virus driven people underground? That they might be afraid to come seek medical treatment because of their status. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um. I think that um, that yes, you know, it has. Uh, um. It has done that because you know there. A lot of uh, a lot of them don't have insurance, you know, so they're terrified if they go into the ER, what's that bill gonna look like? Um they're nervous about, you know, giving putting down all their personal details and information. You know, is that going to make them vulnerable for ICE picking them up or others in their household being picked up? Um you know, and and it's happened before in the last three or four years, you know, even people who um are medically fragile who have been paying their medical bills, you know, for their um American citizen kids, you know, it's been found if their parents have been undocumented or things like that. They've um, they've been uh, their house has been raided by ice and they've been deported and things like that. Just just unthinkable things. So, you know, their fears are are uh, founded, you know, in many cases. And um, so, yeah, we're trying to um, me and just a lot of the volunteers, um, you know, trying to get information out there to people on, you know, when to go in uh, to the doctor. And and we've heard just this morning, and I don't know a lot of details about it, I hope it's true, Um, but I heard from uh, a United Way Zoom call that I had that uh, the government mandated that COVID bills be be covered now in an effort to – encourage people to go in to seek treatment and not be worried about, you know, are they underinsured or uninsured or things like that. So um, so that's brand new. So I hope if that's true, I hope we can push that information out there to all the vulnerable populations of people, especially, you know, without um, insurance or, or bad insurance. So.
4: Is it unrealistic to, to think that ICE at some point May exploit the situation um, with a lot of these immigrants, and at some point, um, come knocking on their door. Or do you view that as unlikely?
2: Um, I'd like to say it's unlikely. I feel like it's unlikely. I would hope they have bigger fish to fry, and that they, you know, um, would focus only on um per you say criminal deportations you know things like that but um but you know there are some organizations like um Justice for Immigrants or um Clinica the Catholic Legal Immigration Network and different places like that that I keep up with that uh have sent you know kind of worrisome messages lately saying that um you know that that uh, ICE has, you know, threatened to do that, to, you know, gather DACA information and uh, and use it um, against people and things like that. So it hasn't happened yet. But, um, but and then also, um, the public charge uh, is, a, is a newer law that was recently passed, um, whereby if people use certain if they're legal permanent residents and they use certain social services before they officially get their citizenship they can um, be denied the possibility of ever applying for their citizenship and so um, it's it's listed on the United States Immigration Customs website it says that you know um, it's likely that seeking COVID care won't count against won't hurt their case in the future or it's it's very vaguely worded very coded kind of thing you know where it's still scary enough that lawyers uh in the local area have said yeah that language is it's not comforting it's not uh, reassuring to tell them yeah go in and seek treatment and give all of your identifying information um and you'll be okay it's it's not been until like i said this morning um it's not been clear that 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 they would be safe from that
0: Okay, Megan, it is customary that we give our guests the last word on our show. So why do you think knowing about organizations like the Lantern Center is relevant in today's world?
2: Well, you know, we're all immigrants here in the United States unless we are, um, you know, um, indigenous Native American Indians. And so, you know, I feel like um, with all of the the negative rhetoric that we sometimes hear um, surrounding immigrants and immigration that it's important to educate ourselves on the truth and the facts. And, you know, some of the, some of the relevant facts right now are that, you know, 29,000 um, DACA recipients are healthcare professionals. And, and right now, uh, today, one in four doctors and one in six nurses are immigrants um, And then finally, you know, 73% of farm workers and and 40% of food packers are immigrants. So, you know, talk about essential workers and talk about um, all of us being in this together and needing to, you know, to rely on each other to get through this and to survive this and to kind of come out okay on the other side. Um, We all need to be in it together and, um, you know, and be supporting each other and, so you know when people consider the numbers and consider the facts you know maybe they could um if people are are wondering about um those facts they could they could look up um there's a documentary called a day without immigrants um and uh and it's just really eye opening to see you know what would our life be, be like if, um, you know, immigrants didn't show up for work that day. I think that right now um, there wouldn't be very much food in the grocery store. There wouldn't be very many people to work the ventilators um, or do the, the CNA-type work or um, the cleaning work or the, you know, farm work that we all rely on every single day. So we need to not take that for granted and treat everybody equally and, um, and give them, you know, the status and the respect and the support they deserve because they've been supporting us um, and they've been our lifeline for all these years. So now, you know, it's time for us to be there for them.
1: Okay. When we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
3: the award-winning Relevant or Irrelevant is heard Friday evenings at 9.30 p.m. Central Time on KALA HD2 or 106.1 FM in the Quad City area. You can listen over the air or anywhere via tunein.com. To hear this program and many other archived editions at any time, visit SoundCloud.com. Search for username KALA Radio. There you'll find relevant or irrelevant and many other productions produced at the St. Ambrose University Communications Center.
0: This concludes our 370th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zappsapital. My name is Jay Swords.
1: And my name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our guest, Megan Ruiz, Executive Director of the Lantern Center, who talked with us about the Lantern Center and today's Iowa Immigrants. The history buff for today's show was Ed Brothers. This is ROI, relevant or irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsopula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.